is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Lydia Lee. L- Lydia, thanks for joining us tonight. Today, hey, thank it's, you so it's, much. It's, it's, it's morning, morning your time. It's That's right. Early morning, <laughs> evening for you. We're across the continent, but we're going live. Absolutely. I think if we drilled <laughs> a hole right through the earth, we would I mean, we'd probably meet each other. So, That's so right. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about Lydia Lee. Uh, well, I'm the founder of Screw the Cubicle, and I think the name kind of is pretty self-explanatory. Very but, self-explanatory. Um, yeah, I mean, primarily, you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, I, this is the girl I come to to quit my job, right? Uh, and, and that is one part of it, one piece of the puzzle. Uh, but primarily, I really focus on helping people not only quit their job, but actually transition into work that they can love, right? Mm. Uh, a lo- I, I definitely did this mistake, and I think part of why I created Screw the Cubicle as my second business uh, was because my first business was something I did start that made great profit, but ha- had no meaning. Mm. And that was, I was built, I'm someone that's built as someone that needs to wake up in the morning doing something that is fulfilling. Yeah. And that was actually the reason why I left corporate. It wasn't just about the commute. Yes, part of it was that. But <laughs> a lot of it was that I didn't really want to make, uh, you know, I wanted to make a living doing something I liked doing, you know, yeah. and I think there's something quite uh, special about that and sustainable about that. Right. Uh, and so um, I, I really help uh, corporate professionals really repurpose mm-hmm. uh, talents that they have, especially people that are multi-passionate. That's like, what the hell should I start? Because I'm good at everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I help them laser focus to what it is that they can contribute to today that's in their strongest expertise uh, and repurpose that into a business that they can start uh, on a digital level. It doesn't have to be online based, uh, but most people that come to me do like the idea of location independency. I definitely uh, live that concept in my life at the moment. so yeah, so I'm the girl that people come to before they understand what business to start and why they want to start it and how to do that as a bit of a side hustle before they actually throw in the towel and quit their job. Well, I, I want to drill down a little bit because I, the, you, you kind of in your bio, I mean, it, you're trying to cram your lifestyle into a minute and a half here. But right. so, so walk us back to that date when you're sitting there in your corporate gig and you're going... I'm done. I am done with this. What's the, what's the thought process? I mean, I, I think our listeners would really, lo- even if we spend the rest of the time talking just about that, I think our yes. listeners would really love that because that's such a, a um, I mean, such a, a timely kind of zeitgeist topic right now. That, mm-hmm. that people are saying, you know, this whole millennial age is saying, hey, you know what? I, I, we have one life and we want to live it for pur- with purpose and we want to we do something that's going to matter. And, you know, sitting there in the cubicle, figuring out how many numbers are in a, in a spreadsheet, you know, that, that doesn't lend itself to adding value. So so take me back to that day you're sitting there. And you're, what were you doing exactly in the corporate in the corporate scene? Yeah, listen, I had been having that thought process of I needed to leave my job for many years. And mm. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I Absolutely. mean, there's these success stories you hear and you're like, you know, some people tell the story of, uh, oh, one day I just woke up and decided to take control of my life. And then that's six right. figures later, yeah, uh, and right. it doesn't actually happen 15 that days way, and you know? six figures later. Yeah, yeah. It, it really isn't. That's the sexy story that sure. a lot of people like to tell. Uh, the reality story I like to tell is that there's an immense amount of suffering that mm. happens before you make that decision. Yeah. But the minute you make that decision, things do get better, but it takes years sometimes to make that decision. I mean, uh, my story is the same. I'm not actually that brave of an individual, to be honest. I, mm. I, I'm a, I came from, uh, I was born in Malaysia. We immigrated to Canada when I was eight years old. I learned a lot of old ways of, uh, mm. you know, living and happiness right. and success. From my parents, you know, sure. Asian parents, I don't know if you've ever heard of Asian moms. They're called tiger moms for a reason. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure in Asian culture to make something of yourself. And as 
especially when my family has given up so much to mm, immigrate to Canada. Exactly. Uh, that there's a sort of like, do something with your degree, for God's sakes, you right. know, make something of yourself. And so when I did decide or was entertaining even the idea of leaving my corporate six-figure job, that was something, it wasn't just leaving, it oh, was yeah. disappointing my mother. No it was sort it. of like, uh, there was an economic crisis happening in Vancouver at the time. My friends were getting laid off. And here I was in a cushy job getting to travel six months of the year to fancy places. And I'm like, I don't want this job. You know, it feels a bit like, am I, am I having a midlife crisis too early? <laughs> like, is that what's I'm 24 and I'm having a midlife crisis. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Uh, so it was many, many years of dissatisfaction, many years of not even taking holidays. I was mm. someone that had a, a, a lot of student loans. I'm sure a lot of your guys yep. will, <laughs> will, will, will resonate relate. with That's that. Right. Yeah. And so I didn't take a holiday at the time of my burnout. Right. I didn't take a holiday for two years. I kept getting paid out every year mm. uh, because I was in charge, you know, in, in my corporate uh, gig, I was in charge of a department mm -hmm. and, and, and there were commissions uh, attached yeah. to that department. So every time I left, I had a panic attack. So I never really even had a holiday anyway. Mm. Uh, you know, so I had that anxiety coming back to work. So I just never took a holiday, which wasn't healthy. And that yeah. wasn't something that I knew, obviously, until the burnout happened. Uh, so this sort of happened around 2015. Uh, when I was traveling uh, to Russia, I was on a trade mission with the Embassy of Canada. I used to work in international education, mm -hmm. uh, worked for some big private schools in Canada, promoting education in Canada. Uh, and I was in Russia and Moscow in the dead of winter in February of 2015. Uh, and it might, might be a combination of jet lag and a shitty hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> and being on the road for about 30 days <laughs> at the time, but I couldn't get out of that hotel room. I had about eight to 10 appointments, you know, I had to do back to back uh, to make my living. Uh, and I went, what the hell am I doing here? I'm lonely, mm. I haven't seen my friends, my spouse, like I, I, you know, I, this is not the life that I signed up for, right. even though my bank account told me that I was successful, yeah. but yet I didn't feel successful. And it's funny when that moment hits you of reality and a truth bomb, it, it's depressing because mm. you're like, oh, my God, I've wasted how many years getting to a destination I didn't even want to get to. Yeah, yeah, that, you that's, know? A, that's uh, a great, great it's hard, synopsis. Isn't it? I mean, just the idea. I think the Russian winter alone would have been enough to cause me <laughs> to do a career change. But, but I understand <laughs> the idea of, of burnout and you're sitting there going, you know, at, at some level, the, the zeros, they don't have mm. the same value as, as they, you know, you just keep adding zeros to the end of the paycheck and you're. You're for thinking, sure, you know, absolutely. Life is too short yeah. for this. So, absolutely, and I can imagine for people who are, let's say, in their fifties, right, and they've been in an industry for twenty years. Right. You know that really feels like a lot to give up. It's your identity. Your job has been our identity. Yep. You know, the first thing we get asked when we go to a party is, "What do you do?" Yep. And if you can't answer that correctly, you feel like a nobody, like you don't fit in, really. You know, at that point. So, so that you know, it actually, to be honest, as I said, I wasn't very brave to go. Hey, I'm taking control of my life, and I'm going to quit my job. It actually required some pain. It required this burnout moment. It required me to uh, develop this short-term agoraphobia mm, where yeah. I couldn't, I was so, so tired and so wow. unhealthy that I couldn't leave the hotel room. I, I came, became very depressed. I had to call my boyfriend at the time and said, I think I, I need to come home. Something's going on. I'm having a bit of a panic attack. And I did in that hotel room. I couldn't go to work that day. Uh, and eventually I had to take a sabbatical. Mm which is for health reasons at the yeah. time. Uh, but of course, you know, as anyone does when they're feeling depressed is they see a therapist, which I did. And thank goodness, this is the same therapist I still have today, uh, didn't shove a bunch of pills down my throat and mm -hmm. told me to just get some Prozac, uh, <laughs> but really asked me some tough questions about what is causing that unfulfillment. Is it really just a job? Is it what you're doing? Is it what you've done to get there? Mm -hmm. You know, what are those things that no longer line up in your values that maybe you learned back in the day from your parents and society, but no longer, uh, 
uh, is effective, right. you know, in where right. you need to go. And I think we need to have these stop points to evaluate our, is what we're doing currently, the activities, mm. the focus, the time and energy we spend on anything yep. leading us to results we want to have or a life experience we want to have or it isn't, right? And we have to be honest. And that was my transition turning point moment, right? Where a breakdown became a breakthrough, mm -hmm. you know, partly because I seeked support for that. Right. Um, and, and that sort of became that new trajectory for me. What is my version of success? Does, do I even need to make six figures? Like, what is that about? You know? Uh, and so that caused me to evaluate all sorts of things in my life. Um, and then after knowing a bit of clarity about, you know, what isn't working that helped me to get to what could be working right. and experiment a little bit with that, not quitting sure. my job right away. You know, I'm not the kind of girl that jumps off a cliff and mm -hmm. hope the parachute opens. Most people aren't. <laughs> or hope that you kind actually of have a parachute with you. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Especially people with kids and things like that. Yeah. I didn't have children, thank God. Uh, but it's a hard decision to change your life, you know? And it yeah. took some time. We have to dedicate some time to that discovery. Um, so I kept my job. I, I limited my hours a little bit because of the health concerns. Uh, but I did take some time to work with a therapist, work with a coach to figure out what was my career, right. if I could do something different. Uh, but what was actually easiest for me to start at the moment was actually remaining in the industry that I knew very well about, but creating something independently. Uh, so what I did was negotiate it in that span of nine months of discovery. I negotiated a consultancy role with my job at the time, which was sort of a safe place. It yeah. wasn't like completely quitting, right. but I thought, hey, I am valuable here. They do need me, mm -hmm. but how do I do this without suffering, continuing to suffer in the nine to five role? Actually, mine was like nine to nine. You know, how do I do this sustainably? So I, ne I did negotiate a consultancy role to take on a particular territory I was good at, outsource the rest to someone new that I would train, uh, and they would still keep a part of my talents there. And they were okay with that for the first six months. And then I started my side business of an agency, yeah. right, independently in that industry. Kind of in that as same space though, right? Yeah, yeah, and that felt really easy. And you know what? A lot of people do do this as a sort mm -hmm. of the first inaugural step, right. what I call the transition step, right? right? Not, the, not the forever step that sure. you'll do till you die, just something to get you out of that funk, get you out of the commute, get you out of going to the office every, every single day. I don't think that, and that exists work anymore. I don't think that forever yeah. step exists anymore. I, I really don't. I think, you know, if you if you look at our our lives, we almost need to look at them at, in, as windows of time or, you know, that this is kind Love of that. the the epoch or the era or whatever that, that I'm in today. But five years from now, it'll probably look completely different. And I, I like that idea of kind of the transitional step. And so mm -hmm. you, one thing that you, you mentioned that I think will really interest our listeners, too, is that the kind of the differences between the Canadian system and the U.S. system. I mean, the biggest issue that most people have when they want to step out to freelance or consultancy or whatever is insurance. Mm. And so, you know, in the, in the Canadian system, it's it's provided as part of kind of the the um, like the U.K. system, kind of a national health care type type system. Sure. You know, you step out here and if your spouse doesn't have insurance or you know, to buy it independently outside of your careers is really expensive. Mm. So that's a, that mm. to me is if, from my experience here in the U.S. has been the biggest deterrent for people to kind of go independent, you know, is, is the insurance yeah. issue. For sure. And we actually do have to look at the numbers clearly, too. Right. right? Like, good, you know, you know and, and I agree with you that uh, insurance is expensive, but also is, so are taxes. So, are, yeah. you know, like, for example, when I was making one hundred fifty thousand dollars at my salary, I thought I'm like, oh, I'm making one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I have to make the same amount in my business to uh, really say that I have a permission now mm. to quit if I can make the same amount of money. But actually, if I actually look at the taxes, and I don't know how the taxes are like in the States, but once you make a certain bracket of income, you're taxed 40% wow. of your income. 
So I wasn't taking home 150,000, sure, sure. right? I was taking home 40, like 60% of that. Yeah. Plus, if I divided that 60% by the hours I actually did to make that amount, yeah. I was actually making less than my assistant. So wow. you see the reality check, right? And the so it's like time maybe, and the stress. And the commuting time, and yeah, the stress. Wow. I mean, what is the true cost yeah. of making that 60%? Yeah. So it's the same sort of advice I would give for anyone going, I can sure this is expensive. Yes, that's correct. But so is taxes. So if you were to be a, a, an independent consultant, you could have tax breaks potentially, yeah. right? You may not get insurance anymore, but could you afford insurance on your own yeah. if you were to make, you know, keep yeah. more of your money? That might be an option. Or could it be that you might have to make some changes in your lifestyle? Uh, that's something Heaven that forbid, is the unsexy. People would have to make changes. Heaven forbid you don't watch Netflix all the time oh, and eat out all the time. What are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? But we have to, right? Value. Yeah. We, we spend money and on what are the things we value, right? And so if, if this new life change or freedom or the idea of flexibility is of value to you, we have to prioritize that above our gym memberships, above our Netflix subscriptions, above our fancy French dinners, right? Mm. And if we can find ways to cut costs, maybe even move out of that four-bedroom house that we have, yeah. rent it out, sell it if you need to, move into a much more minimalistic way of living, into a one-bedroom, two-bedroom, something, right, that you can do, you could potentially be able to move the needle a yeah. bit on your budget. Right. And then that idea of affording health insurance may not be as daunting, you know, because it's not an assumption that they can't afford it, but actually looking at those real numbers. What a what a great synopsis. of. I mean, I've done 42 of these interviews and I am telling you, this is the most we've ever drilled down on just really the finances of this idea mm. of stepping out into this kind of the great unknown. And I am. Uh, thank you so much for really unpacking that. And, and I've. I, I encourage our listeners to kind of hit the pause button and go back and rewind and listen to that again and take notes because, I mean, what she did is she touched on all the areas of things that you need to, you need to kind of the overview, broad overview, but the things you really need to look at and things like, you know, can you write off expenses as a, as an independent contractor that you can as an employee, you know, what's the, what are the different options with health insurance? How's your tax bracket going to be affected? You know, what about mm -hmm. the fact you don't, you don't need two cars anymore, do you? you? Could you get by with one car potentially? You could sell your house, rent it out. I mean, all the things that you listed yeah. are, are just such great. And things it's practical, to look at. right? It's Very not practical. brain surgery, what we talked about. But Absolutely. people are always looking for this shortcut. They're looking for yeah. a hack. You know, what's a, a quick six figures in six months formula that I can, you know, uh, learn from? Like right. A step by step blueprint of someone else's Facebook ad that they sold you. You know, yeah. uh, but practically, is that you just have to look at the inventory of your life. Yeah. You know, so and that's people what scares people a lot. So there's when fear arises, I find that people have this blanket statement. Oh, I can't do that because I'm not smart enough. Or I can't do that because it seems expensive. Mm. But it's an assumption. And, and with assumptions, it gives us, you know, the prompt to go, well, what am I assuming that could be true, but I don't have evidence of already when yeah. I say I have like what I told said to myself, I'm not allowed to quit until I make the same amount of salary. Mm. That's, that's just a blanket statement. I just yeah. made that up. You yeah. know, I didn't really know that I need 150 grand. Am I even making 150 grand? You know, and what am I <laughs> doing to make 150 grand well, you know somebody was telling I didn't you're really making 150 grand somebody That's told right. you that and so yeah that's right it, so, yeah, and it absolutely. is a status thing you know i wanted to say i made six figures but sure. who, what does that matter you know yeah. in, in the span of you know my life right and yeah. so that honesty and that transparency you know and looking at non-negotiable expenses versus negotiable expenses and really seeing what your break-even point is every month then you can discuss with your spouse can we actually live on one income perhaps maybe mm. 
if we actually was mindful about our yeah. spending, if we yeah. minimalize. And all of a sudden doors open because you have real truths about what's going on with your life rather than this assumption that was that sort of fueled by fear. And I tell you what, we, I could have hit the stop button right now and, and we have packed this <laughs> episode with so much value. And and I mean, I, I think we overuse the term, you know, value bombs, but that was a value bomb. I looked on Wikipedia and it has the definition of value bomb and that was it right there. So Lydia, thank you for, for unpacking that. Let's let's transition just for a second here and talk a little bit about about the job itself. So so you kind of left the education corporate space you were in. You said you you went kind of almost like a freelance consultant for them for a little while. Then you stepped out on your own. But but you had, had kind of laid the groundwork and kind of kind of paved the way for that transition. But what did it look like that first day that you uh, you know you you kind of went off the the corporate umbilical cord and you you're you're completely independent and you're going okay. Was that, I mean, were you, were you a quote digital nomad at that time or were you still based in, in Canada and thinking, you know, I'm just going to stay close, do my job here. Um, how did, how, what was the transition to kind of the, the, where your geography broadened as well as your, as your outlook on your, on your occupation? Yeah, I was still in Vancouver. The whole idea of digital Madison wasn't even a part of my reality. Now, fu- you know, funny enough, I at, at the time I had already read the Four Hour Work Week by Tim, Fer- Tim Ferriss yeah. three times. Three don't, times don't I read mess this. You up. Right. And not and to be honest, none of it. I mean, it clicked in to go, wow, that's an amazing life. Look at these mythical creatures called digital nomads that work out of, uh, you know, Thailand beach homes and so these forth. Unicorns, but that's right. yeah, these unicorns. <laughs> and I but I never related to them because, to be honest, I didn't see enough case studies in the book that mm. were like people like me that mm. weren't coders, that weren't programmers, sure. that weren't techie guys, you know, that were yeah. sort of these awesome millennials that could do it from, you know, a hut in 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 Costa Rica somewhere. Uh, I was service-based. I was someone that, you know, uh, was a salesperson. I was a marketer. I was, um, you know, a consultant of sorts, right? At the time, I didn't really see anyone doing it in that sort of model, right? Where I needed to still see clients, or I thought I still need to see clients physically. So when I was in Vancouver, I rented a, I rented a space in a co-working space, you know, uh, in town to, to appear professional, to have sure. like a switchboard operator that would say, hello, Conference welcome to we Lydia Lee's consulting. That's right. Exactly, right? <laughs> and so I would invite my clients there, yeah. right? And, and, and worked there and then worked from home, mm-hmm. etc. And so that was sort of my formal way of having a business. Uh, and then I sort of reread that book again and started actually joining uh, groups in digital nomadism yeah. and uh, actually meeting someone. I was on, on a trip to Malaysia, actually, where I came from. And I met a German guy who was a marketing consultant that told me he worked six months out of the year in Southeast Asia. And it piqued hmm. my interest because I resonated with him yeah. and I, he was sort of doing a, a job like mine. And then I said, how do you do that? What do you do to see clients? And sort of just planting that seed and asking him a bunch of questions. And all of a sudden that became a reality for me because I met someone real, mm. not just from a, from a book that allowed me to yeah. see that this lifestyle could be possible if I just created different systems right? Of managing my clients, managing that communication, still being great and professional, but not necessarily being physically there. So that seed got planted in my head, but I never did anything about it just yet. Now, um, after my first year of business, uh, actually, no, actually after my first six months of the first agency business, mm-hmm. I started to all of a sudden go into the second slump of depression, which was what we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast, which is I felt no meaning to the Mm. actual agency I started. I was good at it, I made good money, it was an easy transition, but I still felt like this was a job. Like I had to like peel myself out of bed to get there and do something. And so I realized that actually what was the discomfort I was feeling was that I was selling products, traditional education, 
which was a value I did not believe in. I didn't believe in traditional education. Mm. I not to say that I, you know, there's no judgment there, but for me, I felt that my traditional education didn't prepare me for the real mm. world. I actually needed more real life experience and, and real internships of life exactly. stuff that allowed me yeah. to do more. I didn't really use my degree that well. And so here I was selling university transferable programs for kids in China, like, and, and, and banging the drum about how to get a degree and how that's the most important thing you should have in your life <laughs> when I didn't believe in it. So I felt like a fraud. Wow. That was actually what was the feeling. And I had to be honest with that going, shit, I'm here again, um, <laughs> feeling unfulfilled, except that I'm the boss and I have no one to blame now. Uh, and that set me to another motion of questioning uh. again, front door, not a bad thing mm -hmm. needed to deal with it. Right. Yeah. So then, uh, I started a blog called Screw the Cubicle, which was really, to be honest, initially to document my identity crisis, going through transition, figuring out what it felt like to be a new entrepreneur and learning all these things without any, any, you know, evidence that other people around me could succeed right. and what that felt like. And, and that blog kind of took off in the sense of getting viewership. Yep. And it wasn't until a woman from Toronto who was a lawyer messaged me one day and said, I love reading your blog. I love the idea of this honesty that you t tell about, not success stories, but the pain that you go through mm. when you have this identity crisis. Uh, and I was wondering, do you coach anyone on career transition? And I went, what's a coach, you know? <laughs> And so I had to Google it. I was like, this is a therapist of sort. I'm way too blunt to be a therapist. Um, so what do I need to do? Is it an advisor, a mentor? How does this work? Um, like we're not going to do any group hugs just, here. <laughs> no group hugs, no eye gazing. You know, that's not my style. Uh, so I thought, how can I continue to give that same voice that I did to my blog, where I was honest and sort of no bullshit. And, and it can, is a difficult road. I'm willing mm, to hold yeah. your hand, but you got to be accountable for yourself. Yeah. Uh, it ain't woo woo, you know, and it, there's no tricks to this. Now, are if you're willing to do that, then I might be willing to quote unquote coach you. And so I decided, let me, how do I know if I want to be a coach? Do I want to certify myself? Do I care about certifying myself? Can I make coaching my own thing? And I didn't know until I did the job. So instead of this added pressure of like having an offer and charging it right away, I said, why don't I dedicate two months to experimentation, right? Creating a bit of a beta test on like almost like a little internship for myself sure. to take on some free clients to sort of see what can I do in the space? What am I willing to coach on? What are the boundaries of topics I'm willing to coach right. on? I wasn't willing to coach on on business at the time because I hadn't proven myself yet as a business mm. owner. So that felt wrong to do that. But I, but I, what I did know a lot about was the transition phase. I didn't know what it felt like to do those negotiations with yep. employers. I didn't know what it feels like to take inventory of my entire life and figure out my truths. I didn't know what it felt like to, you know, get my emotional resilience ready for that change. So I said, I will talk about this piece of the pie and I don't know where that's going to go, but I'm going to help you as much as I can for free. And I took on eight guinea pigs in a span of two months and experimented with what that that felt like. And that was an excellent way to experiment That's without great, that pressure yeah. of making money, right? And did it kind of willingly and discovered who I wanted to work with. Half of those people I would never work with again because they wanted different things, you know, and I wasn't able to provide. But there right. were some that I had really meaningful conversations with. I felt great about that relationship. And actually, it helped me formulate my first offer, yeah. right? And that became sort of my teaching point, what I went through about setting up a beta test, you know, mm. before you quit your job and experimenting with getting clients and knowing right. how to work on it new career before you quit that became sort of my bread and butter and finding uh, when your I avatar left. Yeah. i mean what, what who is your avatar, avatar yeah. that you wanted to coach that's right Totally. It wasn't yeah. just anyone right. that wanted to quit their jobs. It's just every dick and Harry, you yeah. know? So, so where I really focused on was the motivation. What was the motivation to quit? Because I realized that I wasn't interested to help people that just wanted to quit to go and live on like a hammock somewhere in the mm -hmm. beach. Cause that felt 
also unmeaningful. <laughs> what I was actually trying to do in my message was reinvent the idea of work. What if work wasn't a dirty word? What if work wasn't just a salary and an income? What yeah. is what if work could be a sense of contribution? It could be a sense of purpose that you could be rewarded for giving value and solving problems, but have an impact, right? You leave this world with a job or 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 a mission that allows you to feel that you've contributed to some way to a right. cause that you believed in. However you did it, you know, and that idea of meaning was where I wanted to plant the seed of right away so that people didn't make the same mistake I did, which was just choosing any business that was easy to start, but actually coming back to the same question again of what's the purpose of this entire thing. But nothing up to that point was wasted. I mean, Correct. you can look back totally. even even probably through university to your, you know, you maybe you had an internship to, that led to your corporate gig and then you, you stayed there for a while, but you can see everything in those windows of time that kind of kind of made you who you were that, that enabled you to speak into, you know, the lives mm. of the people you coach versus, you know, I mean, how many, how many times on Facebook do you see a 22 year old life coach, you know, right. you're going, I'm, I'm sorry, you, you, you can't, you're not qualified to be a life coach yet. You have to right. live at or least pick a something, certain, pick yeah. a focus that sure, you actually right. have evidence. Right. You evidence can talk about teenagers, but you, you can't, <laughs> can't be a life coach. Right. You know? For anybody right, older exactly. older than eighteen, so yeah, that that's that's, right. <laughs> is great. So, so right now you're pretty much your full time gig is coaching, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, do I you coach do anything and I teach. It's been, that, it's, it's been that? yeah, it's been a bit of a hybrid to be honest. Like what I realized was I do like to coach, but I also love to build communities and I love to actually host experiences. Mm. So uh, a lot of my work has gone from digital coaching mm -hmm. to running a digital academy, which is my online school that right. allows actually uh, me to not only be the only one with all the answers, where I actually uh, design and facilitate an experience where the people that are students of that experience get to contribute as well as advisors and mentors to other people. And I think that allows people to be empowered rather mm -hmm. than be just only be a student of absorbing information, right. but that everyone has, uh, you know, it's almost like a collective intelligence of people that have multiple talents from different areas, right? That come into the space with the same intention, mm -hmm. right? Of doing something different with their lives, but they can actually contribute as well some of their talents into the mix. And that makes me feel better than yeah. not be, that not being the guru of something, you know, and actually being just like, I'm one of the expertise that you'll get, but you you know, there's all these other people we get to learn from, which mm. I think was really important for me to design that kind of experience. Uh, and also now I live in Bali. I mean, after my first year and a half of being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. I did decide to take the show on the road to experiment with a six month sabbatical in Southeast Asia that ended up now being five years. Uh, me being here, you know how quickly that can change. Uh, and uh, I've been in Bali for the last five years. I've said my home is in Bali. Uh, Roosters hasn't croaked yet this morning, but <laughs> that would have been what you would have been hearing. And, and so I split my time between Vancouver, uh, Bali. I've been to Portugal. I pick new places to sort of live and work from every year, but I am based in Bali. So um, what I what I what I do every year now is also invite people to join me in Bali hmm. to come on a retreat. You know, we talked about sabbaticals being right. such an important exactly. part of pause, right? Taking a pause in your life yeah. and just reevaluating. Uh, this is the space that I sort of organize in, in in Bali to help people have that pause, to not be distracted by their kids. You know, what to make for dinner, their their commutes at work, and come here and breathe a little, hmm. meet other people that are doing what you do, want to do, meet other people going through that same transition and have that, you know, really incubated space to really yeah. think about what you want, you know, uh, and then you can go back and sort of have a clear action, but also understand the purpose behind your actions, which I think is really important. I, I mean, I love that whole idea. And I, there was a lady that I interviewed, um, I'm thinking probably in the early twenties episode number, her name is Alex Rufus. And 
she actually, I mean, she lives in the Netherlands, but she, she does these experiences in, in, you know, generally around the Mediterranean. But I mean, I, I get her pictures on Instagram of these exotic places that she's hanging out with this kind of co- a cohort, you know, of, of uh, right. kind of solopreneurs that, that are just sitting together and having a, a, you know, one or two week experience together and really just sharing life together. And, and it's, it, mm. it's really a cool, cool idea of just kind of unplugging and, and it really is a retreat the, setting. It's not a Yeah, there's something really beautiful about Yeah, there's something really beautiful about extracting yourself from familiar territory yeah. because we tend to rely on things comfortably. And that and comfort to be honest is what puts puts us getting us stuck as well in the mm. in the first world. Yeah. Because it's not painful enough. Most of us are in a neutral position. Yeah. It's like, you know, life isn't that bad yet. Like, yeah, you know, it's not I'm not happy, but I'm not in the streets. So maybe I should be thankful, you know, and not be entitled to do this. Where it's like I find that people that I work with is more in the sort of third world countries, you know, mm. they have more to there's more to risk. But then again, to them, it's like, you know, I have nothing to lose either, you know, to really go all in. I find with North Americans and anyone from the first world country, we don't really go all in because our life is a little comfortable. It's a little bit on neutral, you know, no so there's no sort of push to sometimes go out there, and do something big, yeah. you know. So, so that's a very interesting concept about too comfortable, yeah. right, to make a change. So when we, you know, especially for me, when I said, hey, I want a location independent life, I want to be able to raise my family abroad, right, not being in traditional education and lifestyles, that yeah. I have to go out of traditional mm. environments to learn what's out there, what what is available in alternative education, right. for example. I can't find that in Vancouver. So I have to literally remove myself physically and meet other people that are homeschooling their kids, that are living in other places that I've never thought about that has resources and people to connect with. And that makes it real. It makes it a yeah. reason to start it because when I'm in Bali, I do have to figure out systems. I do have to figure out how do I work with people in North America and Europe without being there. Exactly. You know, how do I Plus get that to happen? Exactly. Whereas in Vancouver, I could easily be comfortable again, keep seeing them at that co-working space, you know, that yeah. I rented. But it, it challenged me in a good way to be physically here to figure stuff out. And I think that's a, a really special way to accelerate your learning in a way to be uh, in that environment right away. I, I love the way that you kind of kind of wrap that that up with, you know, you, you kind of talk to your, yourself through your your life transition, what it's led to and, and what it what it has culminated in right now. I mean, I want to want to pick your brain just a little bit about. So, you know, you coached a number of people and you've kind of walked through this kind of a, a elongated transition period to get where you are today. What would you say would be like what are the one or two um, biggest obstacles or pain points that you encountered uh, that you either encounter today or, or, you know, in that transition, in that journey, you said these are the two biggies. These two are are just nearly impossible to overcome because I mean I love the idea in your retreat or in your in your course you said you wanted the kind of the proactive engagement of the you know the the people that are participating we want to do the same thing here at Rising Tide we want to have our listeners participate in the the feedback you know portion of this so, sure so give me a give me a, a pain point or two that you think hey this is this is what I hear over and over again or this is what I experienced over and over again as far as uh, just, you know, this making this transition of kind of the digital nomad. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the first thing is, it's a very sexy trend right now, this digital nomad Absolutely. term, right? Like yeah. where, where there's, you know, if you go to any Instagram hashtag for digital nomad, all you'll see is people with laptops in fancy places. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is the, the dream, right? But what is missing in that message is what it takes to get to that hammock, mm, yeah. right? And, and actually, when you at, are at that hammock, how do you sustain yeah. that lifestyle? Uh, here's the reality. I've been living in Bali a long time to see many people come in and out of this island Absolutely. that come into this fantasy of 
of starting a digital nomad journey, but not preparing for it and still going on a holiday, really. Mm. Uh, and then going, shit, I didn't find anything uh, I, I was looking for and Had need to go home. Holiday. Yeah. Right. I needed to go home three to six months later and get a job, you know, and, and that's disappointing for a lot of people that came out and hoping that inspiration will smack up in the middle of the head. <laughs> now, this is why the unsexy advice I always give is don't actually leave or actually start to give up everything until you've prepared for that when you are actually feeling safe. Mm. So when we are working, even though that's not the place we want to end up, it does feel secure. Right. And so sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. right? The baseline needs we need is uh, survival, right? Like a roof over our head, food on the table, right? Our families around us, that comfort zone that does is required for us to make big changes because change is scary. Yep. And we have a very unstable foundation. Creativity and passion cannot brew from that place. Right. So we have to make sure we are safe first in some way. So similar to what we talked about, about preparing that environment, whether it's looking at your financial numbers, speaking to your spouse about this change and how he or she can support you negotiating yep. time off right having sabbaticals like crafting time to actually work on your escape plan whatever exactly. that may be we have to just set the tone set the stage for the change to happen not dive into it with the same schedule we've had in the past because that's just not going to work so we have to really take that inventory of what we need to change shift and expand mm. in order to right release time and, and headspace for us to now start this journey what fears and obstacles do i perceive happening that could sabotage me that i'm gonna that will probably talk me out of things what are those things that i have to answer to first right before i jump right. head first journey. Right. That's the first thing. Now, the second point that most people will then ask is, great, I want to leave my job. What the hell am I going to do to mm. make an income? Great, practical, logical question. <laughs> you do need question. to know what the hell you're going to do to make money. <laughs> um, and so the mistake I see people, a lot of people make because they're, again, inspired by a lot of digital nomads of other entrepreneurs and, you know, maybe even people that they hear on your podcast. And that's great to kickstart the inspiration. But where the inspiration starts to get unhelpful is when they try to emulate someone else completely oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. you know, in, in exactly the same way. They're like, let's do exactly what Lydia did to launch a coaching business and do exactly what Lydia would do to coach. But that's not that's who they point. are. Right. So again, get that inspiration. And you might ask yourself the question and, go, and, and say, hey, what part of Lydia's story or what part of uh, the way that she works or what she, how she markets or what she's created that helps me understand that I have that quality, too that I actually already possess that quality. Mm. There's no one to emulate. It's just shining a light that I already possess that quality. That's why I admire that person and not admire the other one. You know, there's a reason for that. We have to own that. We have to go, I actually already have that quality. So you don't feel unconfident about it, that you have to copy someone, right? That mirror is just simply telling you that's yeah. the gift you also have, but you have to feel that you have it, right? Um, and when we think about a business to start or a freelance career that we should go into or, you know, what's the next passion project I might continue to experiment with, it's got to be something that you want, you can see yourself doing in the sense of having that deep interest. I mm. think deep interest really counts for sustainability. Yep. Um, you, you can learn all the tricks of how to launch an online course or start a podcast or do whatever. But if the topics that you are creating, right, or uh, creating, solving problems for isn't really the deep interest you have that 
that you can really see yourself talking about it every day. You already see yourself in a way um, obsessed with it in some way or, or see yourself talking about it in conversation all the time. Very likely you're going to have to really muster that, you know, mm. like interest all the time every day to show up and yeah. creating create that awesome blog if you don't have that deep interest. So recognizing where those deep interests are, recognizing why you feel the need to really right. contribute to that problem, you know, or sometimes a cause, right, that just is happening in your community right now that you want to like contribute some of your genius to, we get, need to know that purpose and why mm. right away. So it needs you know? to be sustainable, and, and, right? And it has to be sustainable. Sustainable. And that's a GPS in a way that helps us to recognize the creativity of wh what it is that we want to yeah. create to contribute to that right. solving of that problem. Right. You know, so that podcast who you decide to recruit to come into your podcast or what topics you decide to talk about, that's all really brewed from that GPS of that. This is a cause I actually really believe in, not just it's going to make me money, not just right. because it's the newest trend in the market, but because that I can see my life's work in some way in that trajectory. Right. That that uh, focus of what I feel like I want to do for work and still being yep. flexible that my work right. might change. Right. But that cause is really, you know, occurring right. in my life right now and allowing that to be, you know, flexible for the future. Uh, so starting a business that is going to be something you want to start, but not only that, but it's going to leverage your strengths. Yep. Right. Some people are not great interviewees and they may never start a podcast. You don't need to start a podcast to be the only way to make a living. Right. Right. You don't need to only be a coach. That's the only way to make a living. Find your role. Right. If you are a better writer and you want to write books, that may be the way to go or yeah. that you want you're a better teacher. You want to facilitate a course or do a retreat. That's more of a model that's best for you. But make sure you know that you're doing it based on your strengths. Mm, that is that's so good. And I just, you know, as you were as you were talking, I'm thinking about, you know, the, this the whole idea of, of being a podcast host. I mean, the thing that is sustainable in this is because it, it is an ever changing environment. I mean, every time I talk to somebody, it's a new story. And the, the challenge of trying to draw their story out and ask good questions and ask, you know, kind of probing questions and questions that are that are follow up to things that they've said that are really interesting. And and uh, but I, I mean, I love the way you kind of frame that and uh, this this idea that, you know, passion has to be has, has to have some level of perseverance, you know, to yeah. really be effective. Man, I love if, how you if, say if that. you're just passionate about something for a very short period of time, then then you're going to lose that motivating factor that is going to drag mm. you out of bed on that day that you don't feel like getting up and writing that blog post. You don't feel like getting up and coaching that client in an hour or whatever. But if it's something that, that really drives you, you know, from a 100%. very deep place, I mean, that's a whole different level of motivation. And, yeah. and I think people experience and I, and, and that. Yeah, don't you think like, you know, products will change, right? Offer, I mean, sure the Cupola has had probably like 20 different offers uh, yep. since it's sort of been been birthed, right? And that's because I've changed as a human. Right. I've expanded my expertise. I've grown my mastery in certain areas, right, of expertise. Yep. And those are the things you start to offer, you know, ongoing, right? right. Like th that's why the mission and the drive and the, and the, and the message is the most important because that's the heartbeat mm -hmm. of your work. And you can actually never, you know, you could shut down this podcast and, and start something new and that same audience would follow you there because the message is still there. Yeah. That message is still the thing that's uh, creating that connection yeah. with you. So you could have multiple products, you could have multiple things that you actually end up selling as part of your business, but that that communal value, right? right. That communal message of what what we're hoping to do together, you know, as a transformation follows with you in the products that you create. So you're no longer, you know, pigeonholed into just this is all I'm known for. 
you know, and not being able to have that expansion of your work, your body of work, right? That can be right. so much more beautiful in the future. I, I mean, I, I really love the way you you have kind of framed that because this is this is not just an interview about, uh, you know, your path and the, the the kind of the life's journey you've been on, but but you're really speaking. I mean, you're answering questions, but you're also coaching listeners at, at the same time. So, I mean, we're getting a free coaching session here, right? You know, <laughs> through the whole interview and. I mean, I could talk to you literally all night long, but I as we, we could. I love these topics. As, as we kind of wrapping up our conversation here, I really want to drill down and and just so we're going to have one line answers here to to these last. Thing. I really want to get inside your head here, and then I want to give you space to kind of wrap it up at the at the end and, cool. and let people know how to how to catch you or how to find you online. But so if you if you had to tell me somebody online that really inspires you. Give me, give me their name and that one line of why they inspire you. What's that one person well, that comes to mind? This one person was the person that was a part of my journey without her knowing it. Uh, and now actually my uh, personal coach at the moment as well. It's gone full circle. Uh, and one, some, some, uh, this person that I was following, her name's Pam Slim. Uh, yeah. She's an amazing uh, author. Uh, her first book was Escape from Cubicle exactly. Nation, right. which is a it. book that I, I've read when I was in corporate. Uh, and then she also has a book that was about, I think, two years ago she wrote it called Body of Work, mm. which I really love. What a an amazing follow-up book to Escape from Cubicle Nation. Uh, and I followed her work for many years. And what I really respect about Pam is that she walks the talk of like, again, yeah. when she talks about building your body of work, she is consistently building her body of work. And what I love about her is it doesn't matter how successful she is, and she's very successful, um, she's very grounded in her work in the sense of that she's not hiding behind an automated funnel or right. she's not hiding exactly. behind just this sort of like, you can't reach me, I'm an influencer of this caliber now. She really does talk to her client. She really does, when you work with her, she invites, you know, I just spent uh, uh, two days in Phoenix in her home, mm. you know, coaching with her at her space. I should have been in a hotel room, which is usually what happens, but she invited me to her home to spend time with her family. And you're like, wow, this is not someone that would do yeah. that. Like, you know, they'll have boundaries around that. But deal. she's so... She's so committed to actually what she says she's going to do that there's no drama and no ego in that work. And I really respect that about her as a business owner. Um, and, and, and so she's my coach right now, and she's really empowering me to actually do good work rather than uh, look good is to actually do good work. Mm. And, and I love her idea of building communities, building sustainable people, not just fans and followers that are subscribing to your work, but letting them have this ecosystem, right. you know, where they can actually enhance your work by sharing it and by being um, part of that collective intelligence we spoke about, you know, uh, and, and recruiting these people to also be teachers and, you know, be influencers in your community yeah. uh, and, and having more than just one influencer in that group. That is the the book she mentioned, Escape Cubicle Nation, is is really a good read, and it's it's a it's a very timely it's message, excellent. even though it was written what 10, 10, 12 years ago. I mean, totally, it's, it's still you know as timely today. If you had a a life quote, what would it be? The really hmm, drive. I'm not you. sure who. Yeah, you know, it's been a quote that was in my head for many years, uh, and I, it slips my mind who wrote this, but you might have to Google this, no. uh, or maybe I just saw it in a blog somewhere that someone wrote, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's a line that says, uh, what you do in anything is what you do in everything. Uh, and that is a whole mindset uh, shift that I've had to uh, really adapt to. You know, when I was uh, any any actually any time that I've been scared to do anything, and the way that I approach that fear and what I do in that micro moment of a decision uh, affects actually a lot of my macro decisions. So mm. if I want to be brave, 
you know, a year from today and I want to leave my job a year from today, I have to instill that sense of braveness in these micro decisions I make today. So yeah, even being brave about saying no to people, you know, or not taking on that overtime, even if I could, right. that is an act of bravery, an act of self-love, an act of, you know, advocating for myself in order to prepare myself for this bigger mission of leaving my job, which requires this sort of mentality. Right. To say mm. no often and say more yeses to things that you want. Right. You don't just become that person at that end of that goal because it doesn't work that way. It's all these micro decisions that you make. And, and those micro decisions could be internal. Yep. You know, it could be things Absolutely. you're saying to yourself every time you have that change that makes it real or not real for yourself. Right. So I always remember that quote every time I'm about to do something. I'm like, this is the time you are making this mark for yourself. You're either going to tell yourself this can't be done with this horrible naysayer attitude or you're going to do one small thing to change that mindset of yours, even if it's not a big step, because that's going to help you get to the bigger step. So that quote is really a huge one that resonates with me every time I make changes. Well, I, I will certainly have that in the show notes and, and we will find out who the author was of that quote. And as we, as we wrap up today, so so tell us where we can find you online and and uh, let's just wrap it up with with uh, one line of advice that you would give your your startup self, if you could go back five years or go back two years, you pick the time frame, how far you go back, but just one line of thing. This is what I wish I knew. Mm. And then how can we well, find um, you online? Yeah. So the one thing that I would have told myself uh, it, when I was going through that transition, probably when I first started my first side hustle of that agency in that industry is actually not to rush things, to actually prepare, uh, mm. uh, you know, this batch of time to learning and discovery so that things are less pressured because I'm a type A perfectionist. Yeah. A lot of my default mechanism to overcome fear is to do right to act. But sometimes there's a nice place to just breathe and take a pause so that your actions are purposeful and your actions are conscious, you mm -hmm. know, in a lot of way, whenever you do it, I felt that I rushed it a lot, which got me to where I needed to go. But yeah. in a headspace and a mental unwellness, I find that could, didn't need to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so take that pause, don't leave corporate right away, like take that time to have that mini sabbatical for yourself to figure out what you want, figure out what doesn't work, you know, and do a little bit more of that and test things before you launch, right? Do that inaugural experimentation let yourself play with different ideas different businesses actually without having a website just start helping people for free and that can be that personal internship that we mentioned about before you put all your eggs in one basket right, right. of having a website and investing into your business um so it's where people can startup, find me right? just sort of it's a lean startup mentality yeah. and it doesn't cost a lot, but just your time and your, and your effort. Exactly. Right. Um, and so I talk a lot about this in a lot of my free resources I give to people in uh, screw the cubicle. So the best way to find me is screw the There's tons of free courses. I have a free video series there that helps you prepare for that transition, including that financial analysis we talked about. Yeah, wow. That's part and parcel of that free course to get your numbers right, to get your, you know, knowing what your deep interests are, all the things we talked about in this podcast. I can give you the, the full direct link for it as well. That makes it easier for people to take that course. Uh, and then there's another course called Create My dream business to really understand what business you should start based on your strengths so that you're not right. Um, just having this comparison analysis to other people, uh, and just sign up for things on our website. If you subscribe, I have free trainings every month, uh, that I do on my Facebook page that really helps people overcome, you know, imposter syndrome, overcome uh, that, great. you know, fear of transition. You know, it's not always about business matters right. that are actually what's scary to people. They think that's the problem. A lot of it is the individual It's the human behind that business <laughs> that isn't, that's getting stuck. And we have to answer to that, what happens emotionally in that transition that nobody wants to talk about because it doesn't sound very sexy, but it's actually the thing that allows you to then do the business stuff, 
you know, that is oh. important to you. So uh, come say hi at screwthecubicle.com. I literally reply to every email that comes over to me. That's not an auto robot that do it. You know, I adapt to Pam's very sustainable, organic way of connection. That I dedicate time every week to answer emails. Mm. Uh, so let me know if you enjoyed this podcast and I would love to know what you got out of it. Well, I I, I told you before we got online that that uh, you, you were one of the first that I actually kind of stalked online, you know, on early, <laughs> early stages, just to kind of, to kind of, as I'm just exploring this whole idea of kind of solo startups and, and, you know, working remotely and, and the whole package. And, and uh, I mean, I've learned a great deal from you just from your videos and other things. So I, I just, I'm very grateful for you taking the time tonight and just sharing with our, our audience and just really playing your part in just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Lydia, thanks yeah, again. Yeah, thank for you joining for having us. me. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. <laughs>